Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friend podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series on Wednesdays. We are going to jump right back into the book of Romans, and um, hopefully, if you listened last week, you have spent all week kind of camping out and exploring the first five chapters of Romans. Um, and so you're excited to kind of see what I point out today and kind of what you observed from reading the text. Um, and hopefully, as you did it, you sat down and you um, just wrote down general things that kind of stuck out to you. Maybe you made some lists along the way. Um, those are some ways that I, I dig deeper into a passage. And then while I'm doing that, I make myself a list of questions um, alongside so that I've got things if I want to research or um, if I want to, you know, pull out some things along the way. I have a whole list of things that can deepen my study of the word. Um, okay, so In the book of Romans, I just want to point out a couple of things from the first section. Um, In verses 1 through 16, uh, it's it's basically Paul introducing a book. Um, All of the letters in the New Testament will have an introductory piece where um, most of the time the author will talk about uh, a little bit of who they are and who they're writing to. And so, and why they're writing. Um, a lot of times they'll tell you that straight off. So Paul begins by saying, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, what is that? That's the Old Testament. That's the context for the New Testament. Um, concerning his son, who was born as a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all of the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see it. That's his greeting. Who is that packed, right? To make a list of everything said there is just, that's one morning devotion right there. Um, uh, that you could probably spend about a half an hour in the Word of God um, one morning just unpacking the layers of what's in those first couple verses. Um And what all is said about the Romans. I mean, look at that. Who are beloved of God, who have been called of Jesus Christ, Um, called as saints. So then he goes in at verse 8 and he says, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. You can just feel it, right? The personal um, Papa's heart that Paul has towards the, the churches around the area. Um, and so he very much considers himself in some ways, he loves them. Um, in other places, it talks about him just praying for certain people he's writing a letter to. Um, and he, he does so right here. So if we look down a little bit more, um, he says he's thankful for them for all, and this is in verse 8, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Uh, Verse 9, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how I increasingly make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps now, 
at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. And so you can see his heart to be with them and to come to them and to be able to present. Um, And so basically the book of Romans, he writes because he hasn't gotten there yet. Um, And so this is, in some ways, this is a... Uh, a beautiful explanation of what he probably gave the church at Ephesus the two years that he stayed with them and discipled them. This is the heart of what he would lay out every time he visited churches. Um, This is his discipleship training program. This is how he trained the church theologically um, and then how to walk out their theology. Uh, And so isn't this beautiful? I mean, this is a man who was steeped in understanding of the Old Testament, went through a season where he took everything he had learned before and interpreted it in light of Jesus being the Messiah. Um, And so he's about to lay out for the Romans this beautiful, um, just step-by-step theology of the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, of Jesus Christ, of our need for salvation, of everything from start to finish. Um, And so that's what you have in the book of Romans. Isn't this beautiful? Um, And think about it. In a lot of ways, some of the other epistles, he'll say, you know, now when I was with you, what did I teach you? Hold fast to the teachings that I give you. Um, And so right here, he hasn't been able to get to the Roman believers. And so this is his teaching. So he's sending it in letter format because he hasn't made it to them yet. Um, And so this is the bare bones of what he wants them to have before he can get there. Um, And so you got to love this because this is the basic 101 for living the Christian life and understanding the Old Testament and how the New Testament fits in. Um, As you read down through, I love verse 16. It's always stood out for me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, And so you see right there, Um, that he's not ashamed of the gospel, that it is the power of God for everyone who believes. And then you see this theme for the Jew first and also the Greek. Now that phrase right there is going to be explained in detail in chapters 9 through 11 because he's going to explain the calling of the nation of Israel and how it fits in to the Gentiles being added in to the body of Christ in the church age which the church age is a word that we've put on um, the, the period of time between Jesus ascending and going back to heaven and Jesus' second coming, where he will come back. Um, and so we call this the church age. And so we are living in the church age. That's us. That's where we're hopefully, seems like we're in the end times of the church age. But, um, okay. And so another thing I wanted to kind of point out from chapters 1 um, is verse 18 starts a, a defense of accountability that everyone has for the gospel, okay? And so I, I'm going to just pull up this, and it's um, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. 
God made it evident to them. And the best way I can kind of explain this is that there are several witnesses to the truth that he kind of is explaining here. And this is the first witness, that within the heart of man, um, Tozier talks about this a little bit. He says that within the heart of man, there is a God-shaped hole that nothing else can fill but God himself. That in our design, Um, that there is something within us, that conscience, be it, or whatever, that lets us know that we're not living right. Um, Even before salvation, there are just, there's this innate sense of right and wrong um, that literally comes from our design. And so a lot of times, if you're listening to anybody doing apologetics, that's where they will start with people is, is it okay to kill somebody? Is it okay? And they get, they're getting at that person's sense of right and wrong. And then the question is, where does that come from? You know, where does it come from in the heart of man? Well, it comes from our creator. It comes from being made in God's image. Um, it, it's the that internal witness that God makes known to each of us. And then verse 20 talks about a second witness that is outside of the inside of man. And it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... Um, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse, so that there is no one with excuse um, who can say, I, I have no idea. And so this is kind of, um, I think this is a little bit evident right now, especially in science, because we have a lot of scientists who are now going, okay, let's, let's be a little real here creation, the body, the the plants that we see, everything in existence is way too complex to have just accidentally happened. And so there are lots of scientists that are now falling under this thing where they're kind of saying, well, there was some kind of divine being or something greater than something that is, has done this. And so there has to be something bigger that organized all of this. Um, But they're not saying it's God. They're just saying there's something that was bigger than this that put all this together. Um, And so it's interesting because even within creation, when they're honest, they recognize that there is no chance that this stuff could have happened by accident, no matter how much time you put on it. Um, And so a lot of the theories behind evolution that have been held on to because the world needs an explanation for how all of this happened without God in it. Um, Some of those logic is falling apart on scientists. And so they're having to reach outside of the evolutionary narrative to find an explanation. Um, And so I think you're seeing some of the evidence of this in that particular area specifically. Okay, so let's pick up in verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Okay, so what is this talking about? This is basically talking about all kinds of idols that were created from the beginning. So you have kind of creation explained here, and then you have the fall. And and what what humanity has done... through throughout time and so he's laying out here literally what happened 
Um, they did not honor him as God. Now, the interesting thing, okay, is if you trace all of the generations um, or major people groups around the globe, they all, almost all, have a flood story of some kind. Now, that flood story is unified in the fact that most times it's a global flood. Um, sometimes it matches some of the details of the Bible. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and so if we played the game of telephone as a kid, it's basically follows what we would expect with the game of telephone um, in that the story being passed down has changed details as it's passed and spread throughout the globe. Um, but the interesting thing is the amount of people groups and some of them isolated people groups for generations and years and years and years back that have a common flood story um, and kind of this common theme. And, and it's really fascinating to look at that. Answers in Genesis has a lot of details on this if you want to look it up more. Um, but I think for me, that is an example of how after the flood, there was a sense of unity because the flood creation was literally redone down to Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so all of the nations of the earth come out of those three sons. And so it makes sense to me that so many cultures around the world would have that flood story, right? Um, okay, so moving on in this, okay, it talks about how in verse 24, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. I honestly would love to encourage the church at large to camp in this passage because this is our culture of the day. This is what we have done. And this is God clearly defining sin in this section right here. Um, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God in verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, evil, greed, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinances of God, um, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Um, and so there's the idea here that in this passage are people who know God's standard and they give hearty approval to sin. So chapter 2, verse 1 says, therefore. And so when you get a therefore, you have to look at why it's there. So what is it there for is your question. And in order to understand that, you have to look back in the passage to see what was just said. So based on what I just said, um, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, nor in which you judge one another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Okay, so basically, just, I, I want to skip ahead a little bit, but you know what, let me just read four. Or do you think lightly of the riches of God's kindness and tolerance and patience, 
not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, the interesting thing with this is I'm right now doing um, a precept study of Revelation, and literally what happens in the book of Revelations is um, there's a seven-year period of time, um, and certain things are made clear on the timeline of this, and certain things aren't. But one of the things that is very clearly said is that halfway through the seven and a half years, um, the temple of, of okay, there's war in heaven, okay? And God, I mean, God just deals with it. And Satan is kicked out of heaven with all of his demons, and he's no longer allowed access to heaven. So heaven is sealed at that point. Um, and so all of those demons and Satan himself come down and dwell on earth. Okay, so you can imagine the amping of evil that happens during that time. But the other thing that happens is that God declares his kingdom on earth. Um, and in heaven, the temple of God is opened. And just like it's recorded in scripture, Old Testament, about the tabernacle and the temple, the, the original temple, that on when it is opened, God's presence came down and smoke filled the temple and no one could enter. That theme, that those that phrase is repeated Old Testament all the way to Revelation um, with the temple of God. And so you see it a little bit even in the tent of meeting where Moses goes in in Exodus 33 to meet with the Lord and the, the cloud descends on the tent and fills it. Um, and so you can kind of see it's the presence of God dwelling in his temple. All right, so that happens in heaven, and for three and a half years, no one else can go in there. Um, and what happens on earth is that the wrath of the Lamb is opened. Okay, and so in the seventh trumpet, um, uh, that's when that opens, um, you have seven bowls of wrath or plagues that are poured out on the earth. Um, and so it gets really intense at that point. Um, but the one thing I want you to understand is that is where the wrath of the Lamb and of God is literally poured out. It's saved. Um, it's literally saved and building up right now. Um, and so understand that at that point, the wrath of God comes out and is poured on the earth. And those that are earth dwellers at the time, uh, the ones who have not, um, they, they carry the mark of the beast. They worship, um, they worship the Antichrist. They uh, literally are following Satan. Um, and so what I want you to understand is at the end after that seventh bowl, a plague has been released on earth, poured on earth. His, the wrath of the lamb is finished. It's finished. It's poured out. It's done. Um, and so I, I want you to understand that there is a limit always, that God never just lets go of anything. Even Satan and his demons are constantly contained um, by God's structuring. And so even the wrath of God is structured and it will have an end. Um, and so there's something beautiful in that. But what I want to point out is what is said at the end of that seventh bowl is it 
is finished. And it's the word to telestai. It's the same word that Jesus says right before he, he lays down his life on that cross. And it's a term that means it is finished. It was an accountant term. Um, and what it meant is the debt is satisfied. It's paid. Consequences given out. And so it has a little bit different meaning at the end of Revelation because at that point, the wrath has been fully exercised, fully released. Um, and so it's that same. But what I want you to understand is that we don't have to, in Christ, we do not have to fear that wrath because Jesus bears that wrath for us. That he said on the cross, it is finished because he became something that we call propitiation. Our sacrifice, he took our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Not having a righteousness of our own, but trusting in what he's done for us. And so we don't fear that wrath um, because that's been satisfied in Christ for us. Um, But I want to read verse 5 in closing, and I want you to sit in this. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And the thing you need to understand is that, yes, Jesus, while he walked on this earth, was a friend of sinners, and he sat at the table of the world's worst. But he also looked at them and said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Um, and he said, follow me. Um, and so Jesus doesn't leave us in our sinful state. And when we come to Christ, there is a transformation that happens in our souls. And it is, we have, it's the transition of the dead in our sin becoming alive in Christ. Uh, and so keep that in mind because one of the things that, that this talks about is how internal to us, apart from Christ, God has woven into the hearts of every man this awareness of who God is. And some of us are honest about it and some of us aren't. Um, but the second thing that is the proof that holds us accountable, whether we want to acknowledge God or not, an atheist will answer for that innately within him and the outward uh, witness of creation. Um, there's another passage where it talks about um, that even the rocks will cry out. Um, and so very much in a very real way, um, those are the two main ways that it, man will be without excuse. And that I would, I would point out verse 20 of chapter 1. Um, being understood that what has been made so that we are without excuse. And here's the thing. It, chapter 1 goes on to talk about how man has just driven to look at God and go, I don't care. I want to form my own way. Um, yeah, we have to understand this to understand why a cross was necessary. And so that's why Paul starts here, because if I don't understand how I'm a sinner and how I am without excuse apart from Christ, I don't get justice at all. I don't get the holiness of God. I don't get the true state that I am in um, apart from Christ. I don't understand that because of sin, I am literally um, facing wages of death 
for eternity. Eternity separated from God. I don't understand that. Um, I want to look at God and go, well, that's not going to be my reality. I don't believe you um, instead. So anyway, I just challenge you guys to really sit in Romans um, because he's, he's building a beautiful case that he's going to lay out. And we'll pick that up next time. So thanks for joining today. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia Style Boutique for your perfect outfit, everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse, to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.